Welcome to the In Search For More podcast, where guests join me in my search for more, more from myself and more from life. I'm your host, Ellie Nash. In this episode, I sit down with three guests, Roshlo, Max Dossel, and Aladdin Harai to talk about the wonder of words. We're talking and we know that we're talking to people, but we can't see the people and like can't really get this like, I'm trying to imagine a real world, real life situation that would imitate this. And I can't really. <laughs> this is new. This is new for, uh, for all of us. I don't know if you saw this Mother's Day video that's going around where um, someone's doing an interview and they say, you got to be on your feet all day and you got to do this and you got to do that. And they start the interview with, have you ever done this before, before an interview over a webcam? And I was like, wow, you just gave it away. This was, so, this, this was made way before coronavirus. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I like talking to God. All right, so we'll jump in. And, uh, you know, in thinking about the topics that we put out there for these webinars, it's usually a real life event. Not usually, it's always a real life event that prompts me to thinking something and say, hey, wouldn't it be cool to have a discussion around that? And instead of just having the discussion privately, we hit the record button and hit the, the uh, live stream button and hope a couple of people benefit from it as well. So as I've spoken a lot about I'm in recovery from addiction and part of that process is to help others who are recovering from addiction. So uh, in the early days of quarantine, someone reached out to me saying he's struggling and he asked if I would be willing to help him out with his uh, sex addiction. So we started talking and every few days or once a week we get on the phone and one of the things I asked him to do, I said, listen, I don't know you that well. We've spoken a couple of times, but why don't you just write out your whole story for me? It's like, well, how long should it be? I said, as long as you want, just write it out. Just tell me about your childhood, especially the things that led up to the addiction, talk to me about the addiction, what happened now that you've decided to um, change course and you know, st- stop doing those things. And a few days later, he messaged me and he's like, damn, that felt so good. <laughs> felt freaking amazing. And I haven't even, re- I didn't read it yet. I didn't give him comments on it. I didn't do anything. And that evening I read it and, and I gave him some comments on it. And it was really cool to get to know someone's story in that way. We normally never do that, even people we know for a long time. But the uh, addiction recovery space allows for types of requests you couldn't ask someone in normal life. Hey, can you write your whole life story and then we'll talk? <laughs> so uh, after we spoke, I said, you know, what would be cool would be to share it in a meeting. See if your meeting would let you, you know, pick out the parts of the story that you'd want to say. And for 15 to 20 minutes, tell that story to others. And one of the cool things about that format is you know the response you're going to get is a positive one, right? It just, it's, it creates a space that allows for, um, kind of almost obligates someone to a, a response that's going to be helpful and beneficial. And then after that, he was doubly excited, like, wow, what a relief. I feel like I got so much off my chest. And as I, as I was talking to him, I mean, he'd been in therapy for years. He'd been working a program with others and there just seemed to be this massive relief and I said well I've, I've had that same experience too and in recovery but also out of recovery the, the one example that comes to mind the most is when I was working with Jewish Community Watch combating child sex abuse um, you know so we were known for exposing those who abused victims I mean that was our calling card and one of those people we exposed a gentleman by the name of Levy Moskowitz, a few weeks after he was exposed, committed suicide. And that um, 
Rosh probably remembers this because I was talking to him a lot about it. And there was just this cocktail of emotions that I didn't know what to do with. I didn't, I didn't have anywhere to place it. It just felt like it was swirling inside me. It felt wildly uncomfortable. And after um, a few days, somewhat sleepless and really restless the whole time, I, I sat down and wrote, wrote an article, which I ended up publishing online on Times of Israel. But when I, as soon as I finished the article, there was something that just felt like a release that happened. And although there was still pain, there was a certain clarity that came from putting the words on, on paper. And the fact that it was published afterwards and I got different feedback, I got a lot of positive feedback from his family, but that was secondary to um, just getting all my thoughts out onto a piece of paper. And then there are other examples, which I'll talk to as well. Rosh Lowe's uh, my speaking coach, and uh, I was shy and afraid of the stage and afraid of everything else. And he trained me for that. And that too, putting my story out in that way was always, was also very cathartic. But what I, when I thought about it, it wasn't just the stage experience that was cathartic, not standing up in front of a room and talking, but also the process on working through a, um, working through a story. I was reading a book and, you know, kind of preparation for this called Expressive Writing, Writing That Heals. And uh, James Pennebaker is the author. And this, he, he brings a lot of studies. It's very science-based. I don't understand what works and what doesn't. And in connecting to stories, one of the things he said is that when they've analyzed writings of people who were helped by it, when they found story words, like because, therefore, um, things that suggest some sort of connection, cause or effect, words that had that, people who had those words in their writing ended up reporting a more positive benefit from the writing as well. And that's something that I saw in working the story through often with Rosh, some very painful stories in preparation for talk. So I thought it'd be really cool to bring this group of people together, um, slightly different skill sets, but all in uh, the idea of expression, right? Elad, um, is a writer, Laudna Harai, if you guys want to say hello to, uh, to those here. Hi, uh, Alad, should I introduce myself or be taking care of it? I don't want to put you on the spot too much. Sure, so. no, my name is Alad Naharai. I, uh, some, of you, uh, some of us, uh, some of you might know me from Pap Chassid, it was a blog I ran, uh, Evria, as was mentioned, um, and now I'm also doing a lot of freelance writing. And, uh, you know, from the beginning, I remember actually uh, when I first started writing Pap Chassid, uh, the name of Pap Chassid came about because uh, it had nothing to do with my actual writing that ended up like kind of being the writing that I stuck with. Um, it was because I was really interested in providing Hasidus and movies. So that was how Pap Chassid came about. I and I remember speaking to my wife right before we left Israel. We were about to leave um, for work. I was coming back to New, or I was coming to New York. I remember being like, I really just, there's things I want to, I need to get off my chat. I need to, to be more raw. I need to be more real. I'm so sick of like, just, you know, writing in this certain format. And I've been writing also for Chabad.org and I, and I loved writing for them, but it was very, um, it was a certain kind of writing that wasn't, uh, for me at least, that I was doing. It wasn't from the heart in, in, in a deep way. And so when I got to New York, um, I just started writing really raw stuff. And all of a sudden my writing transformed and it was very much like the writing that you described. That's why I started thinking about it. It's because um, I very realized- Very much like the writing that what? The writing that you mentioned. That it right. was very, 
it reminded me of that, the because and the therefore and all these things. And I think that, um, that way of writing, I realized had this dual effect of number one, healing you know, things that I was going through or, or helping me get the words around them and also giving them to others, like where other people would start to email me and be like, you know, I went through this exact thing or you found the words for something I was feeling. And that to me was so magical. I got very much addicted to it in a very, in a good sense. Uh, addicted to it. <laughs> I think I read an article where you spoke about that, that when you were writing for a website, Chabad.org, you weren't writing in your own voice. And the book I mentioned, Expressive Writing, it, it gives four elements of writing that they found that works to heal, right? We're talking about writing that helps to heal trauma, yeah. unprocessed emotions. And one of the four is writing in one's own voice. And I think I saw that in an article of yours that you mentioned that that was a transition when you went from writing about ideas that you're communicating to writing in your own voice about how these things are affecting you. Yeah, we have, um, I think, a bias in our culture. I don't know if it, it's as strong now, but definitely when I was writing at the time, there's a bias in our culture, um, both secular and religious, where there's this idea that speaking about ideas is a higher form of expression. Um, and speaking about personal things or speaking about, I guess, unserious things, which would be like, you know, uh, like a micro moment in your life is not as lofty as certain kinds of writing or not as deep. Um, and I found it to be the opposite usually. When someone's willing to be uh, open about things that other people aren't open about, it usually um, is very, it's incredibly serious. It's, it's something that takes a lot of risk and it's, and it's incredibly powerful when it's done in the right way because it can really open both you up and others up. So right. I'm very grateful that's, that. that's what I found. What's bringing to mind when you're talking about this is uh, the first time I met Rosh. So I certainly was influenced by the bias that you mentioned because mm-hmm. uh, when I met Rosh, I had just started the work with Jewish Community Watch and I felt this, uh, for the first time in my life, this real um, desire to speak, to speak publicly and to share my story. And I had an experience where I confronted my abuser and I felt that it was a, it was a very unique experience and I needed to share. I, that's the only word I can use. And Rosh was a friend of mine who I'd got to know a little bit. Uh, he was a, a local news reporter in Miami and he had covered a break-in in my office. And we had kept some contact, but we, cer- we, were, we certainly weren't close. But I reached out to him and he said, why don't you prepare a talk and come over to my house and deliver it? And my talk was laced with statistics, sayings, ideas. I had researched all sorts of things. And I remember Raj's words, like, cut the shit, Ellie. Just no quotes, no data. If you want to mix it in, very, very little. Mix it around your story. You're on the stage. Say what only you can say. I can, anyone can get up on stage and repeat someone else's quotes. Speak to me from the heart. And then when you mix it in with data, if you give me the one person who went through it, then you say one in six boys experienced this, and I hear what your experience was, then the one in six means something. But if you just sit there and talk about data all day long, and you mention, oh, by the way, I was abused, but you don't bring me into the emotions, then it's not going to have the, um, the same effect. Allowed before I go to the others, are you a natural in terms of a writer? Is this something you always knew you had? Uh, I definitely didn't always know I had it. I, um, I actually hated writing. Uh, for a really long time. I think it was more because I had either I had bad teachers or I was a bad student, probably both. Um, But I think that like writing is something that uh, it definitely in school is kind of taught as this like mechanical process, which is 
just so sad to me because the moment that you leave uh, high school, um, at least secular high school, you kind of at least are somewhat exposed to the idea. I don't know about everyone, but at least in college, somewhat exposed to the idea that writing is actually very fluid and very human and very um, not mathematical and not, if that makes sense, not, not something where you just fill in the right numbers and it works out. Um, it can be, and I, and I don't mean to, to minimize writing that is like that, but it doesn't have to be like that. Uh, and so the moment that I understood that and the moment that I started to uh, write a little bit differently, um, because I always loved reading, I loved reading. And uh, I, I guess I never really understood why there was a disconnect. The moment that I started to understand where this disconnect uh, came from, I loved writing. So I don't know if I have a talent. I just know that- um, You have I, a passion. I have a passion for it and also like a commitment to it, I think is something that a lot of people uh, miss, like kind of forget that you have to have that commitment as well. That's um, often when I've read your articles that I found myself moved and there was one that moved me especially, which we were talking about a couple of days ago when I discussed this idea and I'll, I'll read it here. Just one sentence from a, an article you wrote called what depression feels like in the moment. And you wrote, that's what I did in the past. It's why I wrote about things like manic episodes and near-death experiences and hospital vi visits. It was always in the past tense. I needed my readers to participate in the myth of happy endings with me. And I needed them to believe what I wanted to believe, that mental illness was something you conquer and stand atop of it like a knight instead of manage like a simple office worker. And when I read that, I was like, man, I'm guilty of that. Because I speak about my stuff often later on in the process as they're kind of worked through to some degree, or I feel... I don't feel comfortable talking about something usually until it's uh, somewhat processed, somewhat resolved. And then I can say, I can share this with the world. And when I, and that's what I think personal writing does is that it it's holds a mirror to the reader, right? As opposed to an idea, it's like, boom, there, there here's me and that's you. And we're the, <laughs> and we're the same in that way. Rosh, let's get to, to you quickly in terms of, uh, I mean, you're a natural, right? You were on Broadway at eight years old and everything else. So um, we, know, we know the answer to that. But this idea that you have, that you, you came to me, when I, when I sat down with you and you said, you know, just cut this shit, tell me your story. Where did you learn that? How did you know that that was the way to, to impact people? I think growing up in the theater, I think the theater was always a place of truth for me. I was in you know, several Broadway shows as a child. And one of the things that I loved about the theater was that the theater always connected with, with, with characters, right? Every theatrical play has characters and is interesting. Just in preparation for this, as I was trying to get my thoughts together, there was a story that I read that I never knew. And it comes from Carmine Gallo's book, The Storyteller's Secret. And you know, Cinderella's name, her given name was Ella. And she was given the name Cinder by her wicked stepsisters. Why? Because it was her job to sweep up all the ash. Well, after Ella marries the prince, she attached the name Cinder to her name so she would never forget where she came from. So it became Cinderella. And one of the reasons that I love that story so much is that I believe that there is great power in reframing your struggle. Like all of us have struggles. And if you look uh, in the theater, at the heart of the theater is what's known as the dramatic arc. We are all hardwired 
to root for the hero. This Joseph Campbell talks about this in the hero's journey. You know, you go see a movie like Rocky, we root for the underdog. So the dramatic arc is where we connect with people. And what I love about speaking and using words is that you are actually able to reframe your story and reframe your situation. And we can look at something like Cinderella and see a, a, a classic example of this, that she, she wanted to use the name Cinder because she took what was a tremendous struggle and she turned it into purpose, which I think is, is really beautiful. So is that a theme you've seen, meaning when, when we sat down for the first time, we weren't talking about healing. That wasn't the conversation at all. The conversation was about impact and how I could impact a room full of people. Is that something, this, is that something you've seen consistently as you've helped people tell their stories that it's not only been used as a good way to impact others, but also to find healing for them as they're processing that? So one of the, the major concerns I always get when I work with people is they say, I don't want to talk about myself because who cares about me? That's what Elad's, um, that bias that Elad mentioned. That's exactly yeah. it. I, I don't want to talk about myself. Who cares about me? And my message to people is it's just the opposite. And it's interesting, Max, I wanted to give you a quick shout out over here because your dad was a reporter, right? John Stoss. Yeah, I think he'd say he still is. Oh, still is, right. And so I looked up to John Stossel a lot as, 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 I, as I became a reporter. And one of the first things that you learn as a reporter is that stories are about people. Stories are about people. And I remember when I went to Columbia School of Journalism in one of my first classes, my professor, I went and I covered this issue and I wrote all about the stats and the figures and the statistics. And my professor said to me, where are the people in your story? Stories are about people. And so, Ellie, with you so many years later, when I'm sitting across from you and you're giving me stats and figures, it's the same concept. Stories are about people. Stories are about you. Here's the problem. Here's the biggest issue when it comes to that, is most people feel like they aren't worthy of delivering their story. They think, who cares? And what I have found time and time again is that those are the exact stories that people do care about. They don't want to see polished professional speakers. They really don't. They want to see people just like them, who struggle just like them, share those stories. And lastly here, getting back to Ellie's talk for a, a second, you know, one of Ellie's most powerful talks, I would say, was in Los Angeles when he spoke for JCW. I was fired up for that one. The rabbis banned right. that event officially. Oh. Right. They, they gave criticism to some of our events. That one was officially banned. <laughs> And one of the techniques that I used for that speech was to have Ellie hold up a picture of himself as, as an eight-year-old boy, right? I wanted the audience to see the person that was abused. This was a very powerful way of what Aristotle calls, calls ethos, character development. For Ellie, it was much easier to go to stats and figures, but when you saw this picture of Ellie as an eight-year-old, and one of, when I started working with Ellie, I said, I want to see what you look like. And Ellie put the picture up there so people could really see what the issue is. And, and when people kind of break through this self-conscious uh, attitude that they don't matter, that's when, that's when they soar. And that's one of the greatest, why I'm, 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 I'm happy in my life right now um, that, you know, I've graduated from TV news. 
because the stories aren't about the reporters. Stories aren't about the big celebrities. The stories are about you. And I want to kind of find all those stories and help people. So, Max, to, to get to you, I, um, yeah, I've mentioned in the past that you and I worked on a poem a bunch of years ago for Jewish Community Watch. But actually what I want to talk about is the workshop you did at um, our office a few months ago. So I'd reached out to, uh, to Max. And we're always trying to big, bring different uh, things to our company. And I found that personal development is um, as necessary in a corporate environment as anywhere else. It's, it's often the blocks that hold to success in any area of life, including in, in that area. And, um, you know, Rosh has been at my office and trained a lot of the guys. And I reached out to Max and I said, do you do any workshops where you train people in poetry? Max is a spoken word poet. And uh, he came in and I don't remember how, how many there were, probably about 10 or 12 of us in there and you gave us some some ideas and I found for me what was interesting it was just after my son was born and the poem that I kind of worked on in the I class remember. with you and delivered was a, the the emotions I was feeling and for me it was this you know hospitals are kind of beer you know they're they're concrete and they're simple and it's I want to use the word cheap because they're not cheap but it, they're they're not like big fancy hotels they're not these and it was one of the most profound moments in my life. And I'm looking around the room and it's just as, as beer bones as it can get. And I wanted to put that into words, how those profound moments off, can come and often come in the simplest parts of, of life. So it wasn't a traumatic or a negative experience, but it was something, you know, being steeped in business and just steeped in um, our society where money is top of mind and um, success and all of those things are front and center and then saying, okay, here's an experience that's attainable to everyone, done in the sim simplest way, and I don't want to say everyone, but regardless of socioeconomic economic status. And this was one of the most profound experiences. And I just, I felt like I wanted to put that on paper and I felt like I did. I felt like it processed something that also wasn't, wasn't traumatic. So now in terms of your own stories, writing, is it more like Rosh where it was something you knew young or more like a lot where you developed a lot later on it was I mean I definitely liked poetry as a child and like writing as a child but it was I was 24 years old and I heard someone perform a poem um and I just remember just like some of like long phrases of words and I would touch her withered skin and comment on how thin it is to keep in something <laughs> infinite like I had a, that was ringing around in my brain it was like kind of like a lot of words to remember at once and I was like something here has stuck with me. What's going on? Something's going on. And Can you then, say those words again? And I would touch her withered skin and comment on how thin it is to keep in something infinite. Uh, it's this poet <laughs> named Hank Yu who was writing That's a poem cool. about falling in love at 85. Um, and he had shared that. And I was like, Oof, I love <laughs> that. Um, and then on the way home, I was like, what's going on? Something's happening. And this was not at the time. What I think, were you doing I, then? What was your, were you in school? Were you working? I was uh, in marketing. I was working in social media marketing okay. for Dove and Budweiser and companies like that. And I was on the way home and I started like, I pulled out my phone pad and like notepad and started just typing on it. And that was not something I had done really before that, other than being like, all right, like pick up groceries, call mom. Like I had not really just taken out my phone notepad to write. And I wrote down, I was like, I sit and ponder the beauty of slam poetry, wonder the reason it so flows with me. And then I was like, ooh, that rhymes. I was like, maybe I can do this. <laughs> and so, and I finished that poem. And then I saw him the next day and I said, hey, like I wrote something after your performance. Like, do you want to hear it? 
he was like, okay. <laughs> uh, and then I read it for him and he was like, wow, you should like, this is, you should consider pursuing this. And he still to this day is like an activator of creativity for me. But ever since it's been such a powerful way of processing for me, because I think it's, I love what you said about um, in mental health, like we want to shout it from the mountaintops, look, I have conquered this thing. Like I did it, I beat it. And I'm sharing from this position of power as opposed to what I think a lot of my favorite writing is, is like, I'm in it and I'm trying to figure it out. And like, this is, this seems to be a process that helps me figure it out. And often my art, my writing wants, like it wants to be witnessed, whether that's by a small group, whether that's by a big group. Um, but that, that process of figuring it out. And people often say to me after hearing my work, like, wow, that was so vulnerable. And my internal reaction is like, actually, like, the way I'm doing it, I'm sharing you this crafted piece that like rhymes and is funny sometimes. Like, I know you're going to like this. Like, I sort of don't feel the vulnerability <laughs> of doing it that way. Cause like, I'm about to share something polished that like, I know you're going to have a positive reaction. I'm going to get the feedback. I'm going to get the praise. I think it's often much more vulnerable, much more real to just like get up and say, or like just share, like, this is what I'm going through. I don't know if this is like, I don't know if you're going to like it or not just here. Here's where I am. Here's what I'm going through. I think that's the really. When you shared really the first poem, did you, did you know it was good before the before you got the reaction? That's a great question. Um, I like, I liked it, and I was like, I think, I kind of was like, I think this is good. <laughs> I was like, I think I kind of, I wanted his I wanted his feet. I was like, I think this is good, and that's been a pattern of mine with a lot of things that are within my mental capacities that I thrive in, um, and I'm actually dyslexic, but within. Uh, within verbal listening and writing, I, I test very highly in, in that side of things, but reading is challenging for me. Um, but I tend to pick things up and be good at them quickly. And then it's hard for me when I have to do work. That's been a childhood pattern for me. Um, but I, I was like, I think I, it's like, I think I got like, I got a good one fast and then I'll get praise for having done a good one fast. Look, I can be good without having done a lot of work of being good. It fit all of my childhood things that I was working on. <laughs> do you, do you use your writing to process? I mean, a, a lot, I know the answer to, cause he puts a lot of his work out there, but do you use your own writing to process difficult emotions, maybe a breakup or some childhood stuff that comes up? Absolutely. And I like, and you know, in my shows, I share the more polished pieces of that, but like, I actually have been, I do these writing workshops every Sunday. Um, all welcome, invited there. They're free. Uh, and that's like been a really powerful place too for I think everybody involved to really just process, to just process what's going on. Like we talk for like 30 minutes and see what comes up and what's present and I'll perform a poem. And then after that, like we just, we go, it's whatever's there. And it's like, I think it's wonderful to have that space to just kind of figure out what's going on in our own challenging lives and because it's a it's a great medium for that and you you find that when people are coming to the workshops that's what they're looking for and that's what they're 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 benefiting in that way in terms of the healing it's funny i think people are coming and looking for different things and i've had a clarity recently that i don't particularly care what you're looking for <laughs> <laughs> um like i have this confidence and this faith that like when we really get to what's present, like, and I think that's my job in the workshops is like, what's here with you now? Because I'm much less interested in what the brain of Ellie wants to write than I am in what wants to come through Ellie. And so like, I really like, I'm big on like, oh, I want to write about this thing. I hear that. I'm like, okay. I'm like, if that's what comes, great. 
And like, if it's not, I really want to hear what came instead because something was trying to get out of you. And my favorite kind of writing happens that way when it's like, let me get this thing that I call Max out of the way so that writing can just happen so that I can just be like trying to catch what's coming through me. And that I have found in my own experience does not care what Max wants to write about <laughs> like, or what, like I'm, I'm going to write. I'm remembering a, now in your workshop that you've used, you used a certain technique. I didn't start off thinking I was going to write about the birth of my son. In that right. Workshop. And then that's what was there in that moment. Right. And it's, and I, I love that so much. And there is something in the poetry I think that activates. And I often say the first thing, the first thing that came and is there right about that. Don't let the mind come in and steer it a different direction and just start going and just start going. And it's been really profound for people. And it's, it's so beautiful. People often just need the invitation. Often like at, at workshops, I remember us talking and saying, you're like, oh, what's the format going to be? How's this going to work? And I was like, I'm just going to, I'm going to get up. I'm going to share a little bit. <laughs> I'm going to give a prompt. And I think it's amazing. And I think you saw this too, just when you really give the space and the invitation to like share your story. Here's this, I'm here to help if you need it, but like share. People have such deep, powerful stories within that are waiting to come. Right. I've seen that a lot with um, Rosh's workshops and I've stood on a lot of his workshops where he does that, where he, he, he opens it up. And what I've uh, commented to Rosh often is that a lot of what he's doing is exactly that, creating that space that gives permission for this. Uh, the, the analogy I, I, I like to use is almost like sports, right? There are very few settings that it would be completely appropriate for me to stand up and go, yeah, but at a sports game, there's a lot going on. But one of the th main things people pay for is the um, permission to just go crazy and express oneself in that way. And I think that creating that space, right, is often what we're, often what we're looking for and, and paying for. Elad, do you like your own work? Uh, <laughs> um, I think, you know, it's interesting. I used to like, no, I used to hate all my work, I think. Uh, and then recently I switched to only liking like the most recent thing I wrote. Uh, and it doesn't mean that I hate my other writing or that I, I look down on it. Um, I think uh, maybe it's more a reflection of my own, my own stuff, but I very often feel like, oh man, like you were so young. <laughs> and this is like a piece two months ago, <laughs> you know, where I feel very, um, and I guess that's part of it, right? The the writing in the moment of the insecurities that you had and all these things or the whatever you're feeling in that time, I think is very often you're almost purposefully putting the flaws into that stuff. And and ironically, I, I don't think most people would agree with me, but I would say that to a certain extent, my, my uh, political writing is like that as well. Um, and where uh, to a certain extent, you're just kind of, or I'm, I should say, I'm throwing this stuff out and I'm, I'm like 90% sure of it. And then later I find out that 10% of it was okay and good um, or right, I should say, correct. Um, but uh, mostly what I, what I realize as I look back on it is like, there's kind of these two feelings. One is that feeling of like, oh man, I was, oh, I didn't know these things or I, I could have grown a lot. I, I should have realized these things. And then there's another side, which is like, wow, I'm really, proud that I did that in that moment at that time um, because of those flaws. And I think when that, you're writing, what's the, what are you going for? Is it more of an internal process that you want to 
internal emotions that you want to get out, ideas that you want to get, get out of yourself or having an impact on others? What's the focus or some, some and some? That's a really good question. I think that um, it depends on the piece. Um, almost, I think no matter what, there's something inside of me. It could be intellectual. Now I've kind of, I would say I've kind of grappled with both sides. Like it could be an intellectual thing or an emotional thing that I am overwhelmed with uh, in some sense. Uh, it's, I couldn't, I might not even realize it. Like I'm feeling anxiety, anxiety, anxiety. And then I write this piece and then all of a sudden it's gone. And I realize, oh, this thing has been bouncing around in my brain for however long. Um, and, you know, it's kind of like the way I describe it. And I think they're actually not even analogous. I would say they're the same thing. Uh, is when you have like a really good, deep conversation with someone you love. Um, I would say like that is often uh, similar to a piece of writing in which you like uh, let out whatever is going on inside, you know, because the point is that we all have these things that are bouncing around inside of us, either subconsciously or consciously. I um, mean, that could be uh, as much uh, like a personal thing, as much, uh, as much as it's a political thing or a, you know, ideological thing or a religious thing or a spiritual thing. Um, meaning to say that we, we have a lot of things bouncing around inside of us. And so the beauty of writing is that it gives us, uh, at least in my, my until you, until you publish it, it gives you the perfect audience where you just get to uh, scream at the piece of paper or cry <laughs> into the piece of paper. I mean, then you get the commenters and that's a different story. But, but until then, it's, it's the best uh, audience, I would say. You, you take a lot of risks with your writing. Um, I don't know if all your writing, but I've, I, there are a few pieces. One that comes to mind, I think, was called F God, right? And living in an Orthodox community. I mean, that's not a... the actual name of it. <laughs> what was the name of the... No, I'm piece? saying you didn't fully pronounce the full, the full title. You could if you want. I mean... Oh, I can't, can't hear you now. <laughs> I think you had a, uh, an asterisk can't in there. I hear you. I don't know what just happened. Am I the only one that can't hear anybody? Yeah, I think I think just you. Can't hear anybody. I think, so Hashem, that, I think Hashem is blaming me for this right now because I can't, I literally can't hear anybody. You really can't hear anyone? You're not joking? Yeah. I can't. <laughs> I can hear you. Should I disconnect and reconnect? If you actually can hear, yeah, disconnect and reconnect. I will go to Rush. All right. <laughs> yes, I'm blaming God. I'm sorry. <laughs> All right, Rosh. In terms of uh, yeah, you've you've coached sorry. a lot of people to to take the stage, right? And uh, is there one story that comes to mind of someone who you saw? I, it's a two part question. Number one is where do you see the journey that someone goes through? And oftentimes people talk about a profound experience going through your process and training. Do you see it more? in leading up to the speech and preparing their story and getting ready for it? Or is it when they deliver their talk? Both. You know, I just saw somebody here that I believe, I'll call him out, Charles Zolte, who I believe joined us here. And this is a great example of it. Uh, what I love most about the work that I do is giving people self-confidence. Uh, I believe that um, the stage prior to Corona was like in a theater, but now, the stage is everywhere, right? This is a stage, your phone right. is a stage. We've been doing Zoom calls. So the excuse that you don't have a theater does, doesn't apply. And so if I can, I believe Charles, you're on this. Uh, this, is, this is an amazing story. This is somebody who, who uh, dealt with a speech impediment his whole life. 
And uh, actually his wife um, looked into the work that we were doing and Charles uh, started his training. Now, what was incredible about this particular training was there was no big stage event. Uh, yet when Charles went through the process, he was able to develop a message. Part of my technique is that you need to have a message. What is your personal mission statement? There is a, a close link between developing your identity and the ability to share your story. Sharing your story develops your identity, I believe. Right. And so uh, his message was find the kind people. That throughout his life, he was able to look back and to recognize that there were kind people along the way who helped him get through his struggles with speech. What was interesting about that is that I don't believe Charles actually thought about what is his personal mission statement? What is my message? Uh, until he was able to sit down there. And what I love is I love to take people who have been through a lot. I think all of us, myself included, have been through a lot in various ways. And to be able to have them sit down and say, you know, what is your message? I remember there was this 11 year old boy the Boys and Girls Club, where we do some work, his name is Benjamin Prophet. And I said to him, I said, what's your message? I'll never forget this. And you know what he said to me? He goes, no one ever asked me that question before. And I said, why not? And he said, because I don't matter. He said those ben words? He said, because I don't matter. Wow. Benjamin Prophet was arrested twice before the age of 11. And you wonder why he was arrested. You have somebody who's sitting there and thinking to themselves, he doesn't matter. And in a matter of weeks, he was able to go from this kid who felt like he didn't matter to being able to stand up and deliver a message. I think that my whole ideology has kind of uh, progressed a little bit where the stage is everywhere today. The stage can be uh, online writing, the stage can be poetry, the stage can be your phone. Uh, but I think it is so empowering when you're able to sit down and say, what do I stand for? And perhaps more importantly, how can my story help or inspire somebody else? That's the biggest thing that I've recognized on this journey for the last two years is that people have these experiences and they feel a lot of shame because they feel all alone in their experiences. But yet when they're able to learn how to share their experiences, they create community because they're inevitably reached out by other people who have um, gone through it. And finally, I will say this, um, you know, on my own kind of spiritual journey, if you will, I was brought up without any structured, organized religion. Um, then, uh, you know, became very involved and this whole process of the last kind of two months um, made me do a lot of self-evaluation. And one of the things that I came to terms with is, at least for me, one of the highest forms of spirituality or religiosity is to um, reach out to your neighbor. Now, that's why I love this. That could be through the written word. That, that could be through a speech. Uh, that could be through a phone call. But certainly don't be silent. Don't sit there 
and not share an experience when your experience can truly help somebody out, uh, especially now. And in, the, in the book that I'm uh, reading, Expressive Writing, uh, Writing That Heals, it's called, the, uh, one, one of the ways that they try to measure the benefits of people who went through a process of writing was not just self-reporting, but also looking at their uh, doctor's visits and seeing if they, you know, chronic illnesses is often connected to trauma and, and disease is often connected to um, emotions and things like that and seeing do visits go down. And the, the premise for the, for the writing, for the, the author's work was a study that they didn't do, but a study that they came across where they looked at a number of people who've, a number of people and they categorized them in three different ways. One is no obvious childhood trauma, right? So they had six or seven, I think the ACE, right? Adverse childhood experiences, right? Have they experienced these types of trauma? And if they haven't, that's one category. And if they haven't, then they're one of two categories. Either they confided in others or they didn't. And then they compared that to how, many, how often they went to a doctor. And the ones with no trauma went the least often to a doctor. Something like 40% less than the ones who did have trauma. But then within the – actually, it wasn't 40%. It was about half of those, if I recall correctly – and then between the ones who confided in someone else and didn't confide in someone else, with that same idea of putting words to the experiences, there was about a 40% difference. Those who didn't confide in anyone else were visiting doctors more often. So based on that study, they started, they, they started looking at a lot more studies and what kind of writing and what kind of speaking. And is, does it make a difference if you're typing? Does it make a difference if you're actually writing by hand? And they came to different conclusions. But one of the things, I'll just read this one line, and I don't want to take over the whole book, use this to, to talk just about the book. But one thing it said, which reminded me a lot of your work, says the take-home message from this research is that it is important to acknowledge the bad and look for the good. Right? And one of the ways that they found that writing really heals, I mentioned story previously, is if people didn't go into the pain and didn't acknowledge that it existed and didn't, weren't willing to talk about emotions, similar to what Elad spoke about earlier, you're writing about ideas and things like that, there's a disconnect. Or if I came, when I came in to, to, to sit with you for the first time and speaking, if I just gave that speech about statistics and data and research, it would not have had the same impact as if I brought, when, as it did when I brought in my personal experience, not just to the audience, but to myself. But then the other part, like they found people who just wrote about the same negative experience over and over, didn't report and show measurable progress in healing. It was, it was ones who were using words that searched for reasons, for meaning. To me, uh, you mentioned spirituality is helping people. I agree with that 100%. I think that um, one of the, the, the ways that I try to incorporate spirituality into my life is believing that all experiences are there for a reason. Right. So it's, complete, it's continuously searching for those reasons that instead of why is this happening to me and that question that for me sat with me for so many years, why did these bad things happen to me? And instead turn it into like change the inflection a little bit. And why did this happen to you? Like, what are you going to do with it that this happened to you? What benefit are you going to create from it? And I thought a lot about your work, Rosh, where you really push people and you say, Hey, it's a story, right? You have to have that arc. You can't get stuck in the problem. You got to give me the, the overall, flow, the story. 
I'm so glad we've had several people, you know, right here. How can I put my perfectionism aside? Perfectionism <laughs> is, I hear this all the time in my work, that I want to be perfect when I get up there and speak, or I want to be perfect uh, when I write. And uh, Max, you can chime in here, or Elad. Uh, I say just do it. Like, like audiences, audiences are very simple. They're not looking for the uh, Da Vinci of performance <laughs> or, or of poetry or of writing. Uh, I go back a lot to what Maya Angelou said, and that is that people will not remember what you said, they'll remember how you made them feel. And so when I tell people, get in touch with your, your emotions, doesn't matter what the, the, the context of the exact words are. This is not a grammar contest. This is about getting your message out with other people. So whoever wrote this about perfectionism, I hear that all the time. And quite frankly, it's an excuse. <laughs> quite frankly, you gotta go out there and you gotta do it. You gotta just do it. Um, a mentor of mine says, uh actually you're not a perfectionist you're just insecure right you're not what uh, a perfectionist you're just insecure <laughs> um which i think is you know it's is blunt but is powerful a lot of the time where it's like oh is this actually and to me there's two branches of it sometimes it's like ah like i'm not saying the thing that i mean to be saying and that's a perfectionism that's like worth visiting of like okay how can i work with this story to help that so that i am saying the thing that i mean to be saying but beyond that, I think it's true that it's like often then the, no, it's not quite right. It could be this more, it could be that more. At a certain point, you gotta just, <laughs> if you want it out, you gotta put it out because it's endings are lies and it's never gonna be exactly perfect. There's always gonna be something. Lad, we got cut off earlier when I was asking about the um, F God article that you wrote. So I wasn't sure if you were joking that you couldn't hear what I was saying. No, I, <laughs> I was just trying to escape. I was just trying to get out. I was hoping you wouldn't bring it up again, but. <laughs> But I, I wanted to talk about some of what, what you seem to do. You know, Max mentioned earlier that, you know, he has his writing that's more raw. I don't know if he used that word, but when he stands up in front of a group of people, he kind of knows the reaction outside of what happened last week when you did the porn poem in front of a group of recovering uh, people recovering. Still got the praise. <laughs> Just had some other stuff in there, too. It, right. It, it, it took time to uh, to get to the praise. But... What you're talking about, you know, you kind of know the reaction you're going to get, whereas a lot, I see you take tremendous risks with, <laughs> with your writing. So what's that about, and what are you, what are you going for and when you're hitting um, publish? Yeah, I, uh, that is a good question. I, I wish I had a, a perfect answer to it, but um, luckily I am a recovering perfectionist, so I'm going to try <laughs> and um, You know, I think that... Uh, you know, ironically, I get uh, a lot of these, um, I think it's a very common thing for, uh, for, for artsy, uh, Bali, Bali Chuva, if people like people who became religious later in life that, um, as they grow and evolve, um, they're very often told like, ah, I miss, I miss the old you, I miss it. It's good. Um, and one of the things I found was that there's kind of two things going on when I hear that. Uh, number one, I hear, you know, that there's a certain attachment and all these things to to an idealized 
version that I myself kind of like feel like a monster, like I created a monster. Like this, this thing was not what you thought it was. It's kind of connected to the depression. Thing. But on the other hand, I also think that it's very connected to the entire process, which is when I first was writing, it was terrifying for me to put it out, much more terrifying than it is now. Um, so yes, in a sense, right now I'm getting more backlash than I used to. But in, the, in, the, in another sense, um, internally, I'm less scared than I used to be. And the reason for that is because when I first started writing, I was an obsessive perfectionist, not in the sense of like I was worried about every detail, but I just didn't want to get anything out into the world. I would literally call my wife after publishing an article and tell her, okay, I'm going, I'm having a panic. This is really hard. I'm, I'm freaking out, you know, and it would be like an article that no one read. But in my head, it was like this, this huge thing. And the reason I'm saying that is because the process itself, it, I don't think is so different, which is that I discover some truth, right, uh, that I consider to be incredibly important, uh, whether it's to myself, uh, like an internal truth, uh, or a truth that I consider to be essential uh, in some sense that I found to be essential for, for my dealings with others. So for example, um, you know, understanding how, and I, I can't get into the, you know, it's going to take forever to get into the actual details, but how um, certain like progressive political ideology was like really important in this moment, in this time. And so I had to just get that out there. And so either one of those, in a sense, is like uh, a combination of a willingness to accept when this comes out, it's not going to come out exactly the way I want it to come out. And it's going to involve me putting myself on the line. And it's going to involve upsetting people. It's going to involve like me upsetting myself that I didn't, you know, all these things. But it's also going to have this kernel. And I think this is what it was always like for me. There's going to be this kernel of uh, true to me, true or truth to me, which is like, this thing matters so much, I have to get it out there. Um, and like I was saying, that's kind of before I was relating it to the subconscious thing that's bouncing around. I think part of it is emotional, but part of it I, I see as spiritual is that there's something, I've discovered some kernel and it could be covered in schmutz and I, you know, when I put it out, but, but ultimately like within there, there's something true, I hope, uh, or I believe. Um, and I think if that- If you had never developed this gift, what What's do you that? think your life would be like? If you had never found this gift, that you have, this gift to, to express yourself through the yeah. written word. What do you think your life would be like now? I don't know. I would probably be in a mental institution. I mean, I think that, and I, and I mean that literally, uh, like I, I, I think that, um, I think there's a reason a lot of like quote unquote sensitive people, uh, and I think that's the wrong term, but it's the one I have bouncing around right now, is like it are, are often um, dealing with things like mental illness or mental health oh, right. issues. Yeah. And, um, and I think a lot of it, you know, this is, you know, we were, we were talking about how, how, how much better it makes people feel when they go through trauma, but like trauma is this environmental uh, trigger, which is, which was really important to work through. Um, but that's just the extreme of the reality, which is that we are all dealing with a lot within ourselves. And um, we all need, I don't think it's a gift as much as like this, or if it is a gift, it's a gift that God gave to everybody. Um, maybe some people do it professionally and some people do it, uh, you know, loudly. And, but there's a whole group of people, I'm guessing at least. When you say God gave it to everyone, what do you mean by that? That it's available to everyone? Yeah. Or that you think everyone can do what you do? Not what I do. What, I mean, I think we all, like, I think the whole point <laughs> of it is that we all do what we're, what we're meant to be doing. And, and it's just, and, and that's why I relate it to the conversation, right? Like you're never going to have, 
you're, you, uh, you, Ellie, are never going to have the same conversation uh, with, uh, let's say, with me as you would have with, or as I would have, you know, with someone else, which is to mean, which is to say that we are all, uh, we're all unique. Like, gen this is genetically true. This is, uh, you know, spiritually, I believe, true as well. Um, but the one, one thing that we do have in common is we have the power for self-expression. I mean, that's not, that's, and that's not only a, a power, it's, I would say, I would actually describe it more as a need. Like we need to express ourselves. We need to, I agree with that. We're very unhealthy when we don't express ourselves. Um, and I describe my addictive impulse as, uh, just to be crude, if it doesn't come out of my mouth, it comes out of my schmeckle. <laughs> that's. Fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. I mean, and I think that's, that's I true. It comes. I found that over and over. It's going to come out somewhere, you know, like, and I think that's the point. Uh, and or or if it doesn't, it's really not healthy. Um, and I think there's a lot of people that live like that, unfortunately. I mean, there is, and the, the science and, and data speak for that. Before we, I'd like to take a, a brief, I just want to hear from people who are listening in. Is this landing with anyone? Is this impactful? Is what we're saying hitting anything? If you just put it in the chat section, I'd love to go to some some questions. And wanna, I, have a, I have a question I want to ask Max, and then we'll get to actual questions. So if you guys could just put in the chat so we don't feel like we're talking to nobody. <laughs> Loving it. Great stuff. What's up, Steve? Not everyone at once. Finding it relaxing. Okay. We'll turn it up a notch. What about control? What about control? What about control? Really beautiful. Thank you. So people are having a hard time expressing themselves with writing in the chat <laughs> while we're talking about this. There's a fantastic good stuff. Well, yes, there'll be a recording on YouTube. Someone just took it. Sign language is another form of expression. You know well, what the, like the data says? I like that a lot. What? The sign language as a form of expression. That's, that's brilliant. I haven't heard anyone speak about that. That would be amazing. Yeah. Adele. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this has been amazing. Okay, beautiful. So it's landing with some people. Max, so I think from the, um, from the other panelists, you're unique in the sense that you write work and then you perform the work and you've done a couple of Ted talks and you have your own, sh you had your own theater show. Um. <laughs> Maybe soon to be online <laughs> debating that whole process. <laughs> so in, in terms of you, that the, the writing process of it versus the performing process of it, is there really, as it connects to healing or processing of emotions, any of that stuff, what is, what is that like for you? I, as the message is coming through, I am often, especially at the beginning, I was like thinking about the audience, like as it's coming through thinking, is this landing? Something's happening to me. I'm experiencing something, whether that's a message coming through or something that I've had in my life. And I really have this thing that I want to give you. Like, I really want you to have it. Like I'm having it. I want you to have it. I want you to be able to have it in a way that you can see it. And you can understand it. And so like, and a message to me often is only as good as its ability to be received, like in a context of communication, not expression, but communication. And so I am literally in the writing process. I will leave space or notes being like, ah, like just me, like no one's going to get that. Like that needs, I need to come back later for that one because I understand, but people aren't going to understand that one and would be very aware of the process and the difference between something that as I share, you will understand it and Oh, it's this. And I've been, uh, these wording workshops and actually every Monday uh, before Corona, 
my barber and spiritual teacher um, would come over for, and we would talk and write together. Is that the same person? Yes, um, <laughs> the same person. He has three master's degrees, um, one in divinity, one in theater. You, you said a barber and spiritual teacher. So he's a barber. Yeah. Barber. Okay. He hasn't um, been over in a little while. He, we just do it on the phone. But he, he's a gay man who's on his way to becoming a minister, but he took a different route because he you know, fell out of love with the church in that. Um, but yeah, but he cuts hair because it gives him an opportunity to one-on-one deliver his sermons. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I mean, my barber really is a preacher. Wow. He gives me lessons through the mirror. He spouts wisdom like a fountain that makes life a little clearer. Last time, he told me he was the Alka-Seltzer witnessing his self dissolve into the world around him, knowing that's the only legacy he'd ever truly leave, as the pieces of his being dissolve into the existential sea and ocean of souls. The witness observing the pieces of his self that help others to grow as he lets his ideas of whatever self is go. The direct quote. But my barber is a realist. His ideals are the idealist, but he's grounded in reality. Last time he said to me, who could live and actually be that witness all the time? Like who could watch their parents die and stand to only be the eyes witnessing life's tragic processes as they simply pass us by? And I reply, only those who lie and maybe the dickheads, I joke. I expect a laugh, but no, he lets my crass avoidance go and gently brings us back to flow as he smiles and makes it known that no, even the dickheads get chapped. And they know better than most Max where bullshit comes and goes. My barber, he's a clever bloke. We talk of love and loss and shaking off the scars that lovers leave with us. And he reminds me greater love is pouring in from up above that it's on us to open up to all that is awaiting us. Reminds me that in our 20s, we tend to confound love and need. And when the ones we love do leave, we look on them as though they're thieves. I feel that wisdom deeply the thief who stole the part of me entwined in our dependency, who left this hole in my identity. You are whole, he assures me. There's a gift she leaves as she leaves. By robbing you of her loving, she's showing you the Alka-Seltzer. But even when your heart has nothing left to bleed, your eyes and tears too hurt to breathe, there's truth beneath the pain. You see your hole beyond the hole she leaves. My barber, he's a man of God. This fact I found a little odd is every Sunday he was taught he'd burn in hell for who he loved. He was deeply conflicted by that faith as by the text that earned his place in fire for eternity, I see this tear drop down his face. He can't help but feel the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, and yet the peace that haunts him most is his sacred, very own love for his fellow man. And I just want to reach out my hand and help him understand that in all of God's infinite plans, there's not a single one of them where he's not death and destined. And so through the mirror, I look him in the eye. And though right is left and left is right, we connect in this reflective light. Our souls shine bright. His holy light shines right through the mirror. Sometimes I wonder if God himself is speaking in my ear. If God himself is cutting my hair, if I'm looking at God through the mirror and then i imagine how the world would look if every single person could recognize the way we should that god is in the mirror it can be easier to see the divinity in others harder to discover that it's god who's hiding under all this skin we think of god as perfection 
but the one who created everything created imperfection. There's not a single emotion that isn't him. And so through the mirror, I look him in the eye. And mirrors have delays in time, reflections milliseconds behind as light projects this false divide that I'm not you and you're not I. And that's the work to live our lives embracing that connection, right? To see beyond elusive sight, to look inside and recognize the Alka-Seltzer. There's this play he loves to quote in which an angel shows this woman moments from her own past. And as they look on at her life instead of back, the woman to the angel asks, do they know? Do they know? Does anyone ever truly realize life as they live it? The breadth and depth of this beautiful existence present with them in every minute? No, the angel replies. The saints and sages, maybe they do some, but never in all of its magnificence. The tragedy lies in the rift between what we perceive and all that is. This constant choice we make of finite over infinite that we refuse to accept the fullness and completeness of this gift. It is a lot to take in for a haircut. <laughs> I don't know if I'm ready, I tell him. And he reminds me the jump from not ready to ready is just a thought away. And we can make it any day. Okay, Max, you can get up to pay whenever you're ready. He holds up another mirror behind my head to help me see this part of me I never get to see. How does it all look? He asks. And so that's my barber. And the reason I bring it up is that he comes <laughs> over on Mondays. <laughs> um, and we have these beautiful conversations. And then we write together. And we're seeing what to do with all the writing that's come out. But I, I'm like, wow, like so much is reflective of our conversations. It's for each other. And it can be very challenging sometimes to bring everybody else in on the context. Um, but anyway, that took a long time. I don't want to leave space for other things. But <laughs> I think the uh, the point there being of like, it can often be hard to to let the world in on the context of a specific moment. And I think that's a skill set that takes takes time to be developed. That was incredible. I, um, you know, Rosh often tells people that when you're not expressing yourself, uh, you're you're robbing the world of. Rosh, what's the expression you use? Robbing the world of, of, of a gift. I just want to, for a second, Ali, we're getting a lot of questions here that I want to make sure that uh, I answer, if that's okay. Let, let me finish my thoughts on, on this okay. and then and jump to that. So I, I just wonder what would have happened, the same question for Lala, what would have happened had you not, like where do you think you would be now had you not um, not only found that you had this gift, but... Um, worked to develop it. I, I think of that often that first interaction, right? When we do so, when we put something out there, like what, what's the first comment we get back is like, we're opening ourselves up and someone can touch us and really hurt us in that moment. And when you shared it with that, uh, you had mentioned someone who you heard a poem of his, and then you worked on one the next day and repeated it to him. If those two things hadn't happened, where do you think you would be? I think I would be just much, it's hard to imagine. It's like truly hard to imagine like the gift that expression has been to my life. And like, it just, it would, I think what you said is right. It would leak out in other ways. It like, 
you know, there's people joke that creative, like creativity and like murderers, like that there's similarity of like, this is going to come out in some degree. It's like, are we going to go kill a bunch of people or are we going to express ourselves? And it's, you know, it's not exactly the same, but it's there, it, there's something deep in us that wants out. And I'm so grateful to have found, yeah, this outlet that happens to, happens to fit for me. And I yeah, couldn't recommend, it seems like everybody that I ever do a workshop with, it's like, there's always something there. And writing is a tool that's at our disposal, at everyone here's disposal. I think that's one of the reasons it's so accessible. I can't draw, I can't paint, I can't like, I just like, I, I can maybe make an emotional thing on, on a paper, but I can't like express myself that way. This happens to be it for me. And I really, I hope it can be a gift to other people too. It's just been, well, I, I truly can't imagine where I'd be. I'd be a thousand times less satisfied with my life is what I know to wow. be true. Yeah, I, I, th I think about that also in terms of me. If I never walked into Rasha's office, you know, Rasha's home and worked on the, on the speaking and I felt like I didn't have a voice. And when I, when you talk, when, when I think about what, abused it to me like the, the childhood where I was left I was left without a voice that was the feeling that was most pronounced and then my journey has been finding and reclaiming uh, and, and reclaiming my voice and I'm still doing it I'm still doing it through this and it's we so badly want to be seen right yeah. like as human beings truly so seen. deeply to want to truly be seen right and like that's yeah for me the poetry for a moment we're looking at something together it's like we're actually here where actually you're getting to know my barber through my eyes, like in that poem, like for one moment on one thing. Oh, we're actually connected, like right now. That's, it's like that gift of connection. And I think we're all desperately, all artists, all creatives, all speakers, we're desperately, I think, trying to be seen and trying to help each other see each other. Absolutely. Yeah. Rush, um, in a lot of your work is not only your own expression. I know recently you did your talk uh, talking about losing your dad and the emotions from that and eventually um, developing a gambling addiction and working through that. But a lot of your work now is helping others express mm -hmm. and helping others find their own story. Is, is that healing for you when you're able to do that? And where does that come from for you? 1,000%. It comes from wanting to fight for the underdog. Uh, someone put a comment here that I really do want to address. They say, well, all you guys are well known, so it's easy for you to speak. I knew you were going to, I noticed that. I knew you were going to. All right. And yeah. uh, please, um, that's, a, that, that's really kind of like the inertia behind my work. Uh, everybody with a little bit of work can get up there on a stage. I also want to make it very clear here that writing and speaking are two different skill sets. Who was who it who said that? Who was it who, who, it who said that? I'm not sure, but it's, it's oh, I think they were called Ken State. I don't know who Ken State is. Ken, but, can I be so bold as to just loop you into the conversation, make you a panelist? Can you just say yes or no? And <laughs> um, Rosh, Rosh does magic. So right. I'd love to see, Rosh, you're comfortable with that, right? Yeah, sure. Ken, would you like to... Uh, I don't know if Kent is still there. It's Kent State as in the university. So I don't think that's Got it. Okay, um, if he says yes, I'll, I'll bring him in and then uh, we'll hear. Because I noticed that talk too. He said, oh, you guys are famous, so people listen to you. Um, not on cam, but audio fine. You got it, Kent. Kent, Kent give me a second. State. We're going to loop him in. 
<laughs> Tenth the Tenth? one that asked about uh, nobodies, etc. Right, that you have to be famous to speak. <laughs> well, no, the, the whole issue is that you guys obviously, you know, I mean, Ellie, I mean, he's done a TED talk, TEDx talk. I mean, you know, I don't, I don't know what you guys do for incomes, but it sounds like it's definitely, a, you know, part of it is around writing and speaking and all this kind of stuff. I think there's a lot of people, um, I mean, part of, I, I realize part of what I was saying is because I'm in a very difficult place in my life right now. I'm in my later 50s. Uh, I've been a professor overseas. I came back to the States. I've had a really hard time with an income. Um, I'm actually living with my mother. I'm a single gay guy, never had a relationship. I have a porn addiction, you know, yada, 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 yada. And basically I feel like a giant zero and in about all respects. So I'm at, you know, I, this sounds really crass maybe, but you guys sort of piss me off to a certain <laughs> extent. I mean, yeah, it's like you have, you have, you know, you have this platform, you have these audiences, you know, you're successful. And then there's people like me that are nobody. We could spill our guts on paper and it's not going to go anywhere. Nobody's going to see it. Nobody cares. It's like, that's that's where this is. I know that's crass and that's really direct, but that's exactly where I'm coming from. So Ken State, I got to jump in here for a second. First of all, uh, you should have seen Ellie before the TED Talk, years before, <laughs> <laughs> years before the TED Talk. I want to ask you a question. Can I ask you a question, Kent? Sure. So if you're driving down I-95 and you see your face on a billboard, what does the billboard say? I have no clue. <laughs> Think about it for a second. What's your message? If, if your face is on a billboard, what does the billboard say? There's a reason I'm asking you this question. What does it say? What are you passionate about? That's a good question. I, thought, I, I, I don't think I ever knew what my passion was. I think I got snuffed out when I was about three years old. Okay. So if you can find what you are passionate about, there are so many forums today where you can express your passion. And there are websites where you can write for free. There's your phone where you can go live on social media. Here's what my point is to you. When you develop a message and you deliver that message, you're telling the world that you are worthy to speak. No longer do you have to sit in silence, but if you put the work into it and you said to yourself, who am I? What do I stand for? And here's most importantly, the point, Ken. Everything that you've been through in your life has good in it. And when you find the good in it and you can use it to help somebody else out, you'll find your identity and therefore find some meaning and find happiness. Does anything that I said make sense? Yeah, it all makes sense. But the, the, the problem is finding any of that, finding purpose, finding passion. That's, I guess, that's the bottom line that where I feel very angry. Basically. Yeah, and I think I think it's good that you're expressing this because I think I'm not going to speak for Max and Elad, but I think this is part of the work that all artists do 
is to try to connect with people to tell them that there is hope. Hope is so important, Ken. So don't be angry. One last thing before I let this conversation move forward. Rosh, why don't you take, it, take him through a little, bit, a little bit of your process. I think it would be uh, enlightening for all of us to see and certain, certainly beneficial for Kent. Like, don't okay. be, the, just the fact that we're here, we're fine. We're observing. I, I'll speak for myself, Elad, and Max, and all the listeners. We're okay. Well, the first we're thing observing. is, I'm all about authenticity, and I'm calling you by a college name. So that throws me off a little bit. <laughs> but, uh, no, but, just call me uh, Kent. It's fine. Okay. So, Kent, I'll go back to this. What are you passionate about? Like I told you, I don't really know. Ken, what was the last thing you did that you're proud of? Oh, can be small. Yeah, I'm, I'm seriously, I'm, I'm pulling, I'm pulling blanks on almost all of this stuff. That's, it's, and that's okay. I also, I want to commend you because we're we're here talking about expression. You came in, you did something hard, you called out that this was pissing you off. Like that's a beautiful to me example of like expressing yourself in a public setting where that can be hard to do, and really sharing what you feel. And I'm sure it named the feelings of some other people here too, as expression does. So I already want to commend you and I say mean, that I, you're calling I, yourself a zero and i see much more than that just in this action alone and so i just want to acknowledge that for you yeah i i think well when i used to live overseas the thing i did most in my free time was i would go to art galleries um three times a month probably on average and spend hours and hours and hours looking at art who's your favorite artist oh i have no idea do you remember any artists that influenced you? For me, it could be, it, it's not about who. And that's one thing that actually sort of annoyed me. It's like, I don't care. I don't care who, I don't care who's the name on it. I'm sick of stuff being name driven. It's like, we should be judging by its purpose, by its quality. So am I. Um, oh, one second, one second, Rush. He was just, a, he was getting to a message. That's the billboard message, but go, that, whatever you're saying right here, if we can pack it into um, uh, a, a nice sentence, that's the billboard. And that's, that's what I was hearing. So can, can you like, continue you know, on that I thought? Would, I, would, I would just look at stuff, you know, uh, this was actually in Asia. I would look at stuff and find stuff that I liked. To me, it really didn't matter who it was. It didn't matter which school they'd gone to. Um, you know, and it was fairly elitist society. It's like, if you didn't go to these schools then you were nobody, but I thought that's ridiculous. I care, you know, do they have a consistent technique? Do they have a consistent voice? Do they say something? Does it jump, you know, does it jump off the wall and hold my attention? Uh, you know, that's, that's to me what I really, and I was an educator. In fact, I even taught speech. So but the, the whole issue to me is why, I guess it really pisses me off that there's a certain subset of people because they have pretty faces and a lot of money, everybody knows them. Yeah, Ellie. And, and the <laughs> other, and, and there's everybody else that probably is actually more interesting in many respects that nobody knows about. You know and what? That, Let, that pisses me. And I'm going to jump in here. You're a thousand percent correct. And here's the good news for you. I think coronavirus has changed all that. I think that the priorities are less about what you are talking about, actually, the pretty faces and the money, and more about those with depth and meaning. So if you're driving down I 95 and there's a message on a billboard 
I think it is what somebody just said here is that it's essence over packaging, right? Let's not be superficial, correct? Right, yeah. That's your message. And boy, could that be powerful, especially today, especially from an educator who many times, my wife's an educator, they don't get the respect they deserve. Yeah, especially not in this country. And especially not in this country. So you're right. Is it okay if I jump in? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's funny to me. I, the reason I laughed, and I feel bad that I laughed, uh, was uh, because I identify with it so much. Uh, I think, um, and it's, it's very bizarre to me to all of a sudden have it flipped around, which I, I, I kind of uh, am enjoying the, the feeling for one moment of being uh, anyone calling me a pretty face, I'll take it, but uh, or having money. <laughs> you know, but, um, but uh, no, but I, I, and I, the truth is, I, I, uh, the reason I laughed is because I feel it uh, very strongly uh, within me as well and I, and, and I don't uh, mean to get into the, the ideology of it I actually think um, what I wanted to address was anger um, because I feel that we and it, it sounds like maybe I have a, a different opinion than I, I might or I might not um, but I feel like anger is a you know when we talk about expression and the need to express ourselves and the need to to, to address uh, what's going bouncing around inside um, it's often packaged in different uh, emotions and I think that we, um, not we, I think some people discount the power of anger. I think anger um, often comes from a long, uh, not long necessarily a long period, but a period of uh, suppressed emotion. You know, I think, um, you know, I was just listening, I was gonna bring this up in another context, but it happens to apply here too. I was just listening to this inter interview with John Singleton, who was a uh, director, a black director, and he, was interviewed about about a lot of things, just about art and about his his work and about um, all the, and about uh, political action. And one of the things that happened was that the interviewer asked him, um, "What do you think about the fact that it seems like a lot of people are very suspicious?" I'm, I'm going to mangle this actual question, but the answer is what matters. Um, you know, about the fact that a lot of uh, people seem concerned about um, black people coming together and unifying under certain movements, which is actually really interesting when you think about recent movements. Um, and he said, you know, the problem isn't movements. The problem is when people try to stop the movements, because then what happens is there's all this energy that's pent up, that's ready, that was ready to go into something positive and creative. And now it's going to go somewhere else. Um, and it could mean a lot of different things where it goes. But the point being that when we stop that thing, uh, and I'm not saying it's we ourselves, it's often other people, it's often our experiences or these sorts, these sorts of things that's when anger develops, one of, one of many situations in which anger develops. And um, I think as an artist, for, for me, uh, I think that your anger is valid and it matters. And I think you should be able to, you should, you should, I think that is a message in and of itself. I know that there's a deeper message within it and there's hope and all these things. But at the end of the day, I think like in the moment right now, anger is, 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 is beautiful and powerful because it's very real to you. It may be not as real as whatever is deeper underneath it, but it is real. And I think that, um, you know, something I've struggled, recently I've struggled with, which is why I'm very passionate about it, is that, you know, uh, we often get told that we should not, we should feel shamed of feeling angry. And I think very often uh, what that just leads to is more shame. And um, uh, I wouldn't say to, I don't know if the right word is to embrace anger, but I would at least say to express anger. 
Um, and I think especially art and, and ex expression are, are beautiful ways to do that. So sorry to rant, but something I happen to. One other thing I want to add on, on the root question of, well, we have audiences. It's just that I have noticed and granted, like I am, we have been spoiled in this. I especially have been spoiled in this. I have had messages that have online traveled to millions of people. And what I've noticed is that if it is 1 million, I want 10. If it's 10 million, I want 100. It is this totally bullshit treadmill. Um, and I've, it's been surprising to me because I will watch that happen and notice the ridiculousness as like, oh, and that one got 1,000. I really wanted to have 5,000. But it's just like it was the slot machine game that actually wasn't about the number at all. And so I would ask in terms of expectation, you're obviously a very intelligent person who like who wants to express and wants to be a part of like wants to be a part of the art world in some capacity and i would just ask within the expectation of like if it was really heard by one person by two people wouldn't that be really powerful wouldn't that be something i think it's not about it happens to be that yes we and have been working for a long time to reach more and more people but i don't think like i think that well it's not going to be seen by a lot of people so why like it, what, it's one person. If you save one person's life, if you really deeply impact one person's life, like is that not a worthy form of expression? Is that not enough? And I think especially on social media, that can be a powerful motivator for me because I often get very frustrated with that medium. But thinking to myself, if this truly helps one person, like let that be the motivator. If this truly helps one person, like, ah, oh, great. I'm so glad I did it. And so I would, I would, I would ask you to take a look at expectations in that because I've played that game and it is not satisfying to be looking for more and more and more. <laughs> Ken, one of the um, things that's coming up for me is that um, you're here right now talking and although your camera's off, you have the same, everyone hears your voice the same as everyone else's on the, uh, on the panel. So in terms of that um, story, because what, what I heard, you know, someone mentioned in the comments about narrative therapy and I've, read a lot on this and it's a lot of the work I did is to what is the narrative? What happened? And I just wonder um, if this does anything, if I pose that question to you, like if this does anything to change that narrative where you, you express something and I don't know if this is common for you or not common for you, but for me, it's um, I, I like the serendipity of it where you expressed this. I don't have a right to, um, you guys do, and suddenly you're right here with us, right? And I don't know if that's the first time that's happened, but for me, magic happens when we express ourselves. And I don't know if you want to turn on your camera or don't want to turn on your camera, but for now, your voice is heard uh, just as much as all of ours simply because you took that little step of expressing yourself. And I think certainly me, and I don't know for the other panels, certainly me, this wasn't who I was. Um, I was voted in high school the least likely person to do a TED Talk. Not actually, but I definitely would have been because I wasn't comfortable speaking in front of four or five people. And eventually, I, I got that courage and I expressed something once, which led to a second and a third and a fourth and a fifth. And one of the things, I like what Alad said about, about anger and coming out. One of the things that led to the TED Talk actually was, and I'll call Rosh out here now, Rosh helps a lot of people with stories. And uh, he came into my company and he was helping a number of us prepare for an event where we we're gonna tell our stories. And I said, I wanna talk about my porn addiction. And Rosh was like, no way. 
and it made me angry. I don't know any other word. It, just, it made me angry. Like, what do you mean? Like, my story is not good enough? Like, Rosh, if someone says they have cancer, they can talk about that. If someone says they went to prison four times because of mistakes they made, they can talk about that. They can talk about drug addiction. But suddenly I can't talk about porn addiction. Like, my story can't be shared. And I was, I was angry at Rosh, and I was angry at the, the message that he was putting out there that I knew wasn't only his. And that anger is some of what um, well, let, let, was channeled know. into that talk. So if you can unmute yourself, I'm just wondering what this is doing for you in terms of being on this, sharing that, getting the feedback you are, and uh, if you've figured out what's going to be on that billboard next to your pretty face. Oh, no, I lost my train of thought. But, um, but you know, I think that's really, I, th I think anger is really something that needs to be explored. And I, I, for example, I have been, I think anger has been my go-to emotion for most of my life. When I was very small, I was very angry and, and really not sure why. And I've always felt really quite angry whether I was able to express it or not. And I think a lot of it goes back to this struggle to be accepted and to be heard. And I think because of um, my sexual orientation and a, a lot of things, it's like, I just wasn't okay. I wasn't accepted. At least I didn't feel accepted and I didn't fit. And, you know, it just could go on and on and on in those kind of ways. And when you just don't fit and you're just not okay and you're, you know, you're just not right. Basically, I think that births a lot of anger. All right, Ken, you know what I want to do here for a second? If I can, if you can give me like a minute and, and kind of try to be open with, with me, all right? If you can be an open vessel, I think you can get some value in the next two minutes. You Go ready? You ready? Yes. Okay. How does an actor standing on stage connect with an audience? What tools does an actor use? Think about your favorite performer. What tool does your favorite performer use to connect with an audience? Emotion, words. Ah, emotion, emotion, emotion. So emotion is your most valuable connective device, right? And we know that from thousands of years ago. Aristotle came up with the art of persuasion, where he talks about that you need three things to persuade an audience. You need ethos, pathos, and logos. You need character, emotion, and facts. Here's what you're missing from your story, Ken. I don't know you, so we gotta get to know you, right? The emotion of your story is quite clear, right? What emotion, what would be your emotional tone in your story? Frustration, Frustration. anger, anger, anxiety. But I don't know you. So what you're missing here is you're missing the ethos part of it, is who is Ken? Who is the person behind that screen right there, right? Once you're able to do that, then you're able to connect with me as an audience member. So let's try to get to know who you are for a quick second, okay? What, let's go back to your message again. What is your message, Kent? Well, so you said my mes message was essence over packaging. Let's make that a little bit more, uh, what's an example of a good message? I know this will get a, a lot. What's an, what's an example of a good message? Good messaging. Um, don't, don't throw anything at me, but good messaging. 
Yes, you can, right? Just do it. Make America great again, right? You just made me barf. Okay, <laughs> you, you, understand, you, understand what, you understand what I'm saying, right? Simple, to the point. What's your but also, this is the very dance he's fighting against, too, which I recognize, right? Like, we're talking about how to, how to spruce up his package and how to take the essence of his message and make it go. And so, like, I just want to, I, it, need, it needs to happen. This is the dance, but I want to acknowledge that that's also the process that right, we're standing but, inside so of. So maybe essence is the message. Essence is the message. Essence. Let, let's get back to essence, right? <laughs> I like the word essence. Let's get back to essence. Now, if you come over to me, Kent, and you say, let's get back to essence, guess what the first thing I'm going to say to you is? Who the hell are you to tell me that? So you got to tell me a little bit about who you are. Things like, where'd you grow up? What were your parents like? What was the first obstacle that you faced in your life? How did you overcome that obstacle? What did you realize about that obstacle? Now, I will let you in on a little secret here, Ken. Audiences learn through struggle. When you can bring me to the point in your life where you recognized how important essence was, the struggle, then you can bring me to realization. Can you bring me to that moment when you recognized how important essence was? How it was more important than anything else, more important than money, more important than a job. When did you realize that? What was your lowest point? My lowest point? Um, I don't know. When you can express that, because you know what it is, you're just not ready to express it yet. When you can express that and you can find the good in it and you can say, you know what? I recognize that essence is more important than anything else. Being true to yourself is more important than anything else. That's when you'll begin to grow and be happy. You do know when that moment was, Ken. I'm gonna challenge you on that. When was yours? Oh, touche. <laughs> Cause I'm, not, I'm really not quite sure what you're, what you're going after. Oh, I, every story arc, right? Has conflict to it. It has that moment where you go through the difficulty and it changes you. Max has that moment, guaranteed. Ellie for sure had that moment. I've had that moment. So when was yours, Rush? <sighs> I know, I know it because knowing Rush, I've heard the story, the story on the football field a number of times. No, no. I, I, think, I think it was when my parents got divorced when I was 13 years old. And the story on the football field, being bullied came after that. But I think my parents' divorce uh, was one of those moments where the conflict became real. And I learned a lot from that. Uh, but we all have that moment where we kind of, we have to really think. Like Max, here's an example. Let me get to Max for a second, because I'm sure Max has that moment too. Like, what makes you an artist? The struggle makes you that artist, correct? Uh, sometimes. It's, I mean, when you phrase that question of my, like, it's just the heartbreaks are the first thing that come up for me. That's like the time to reorient the whole life, like crash and rebuild right. um, moments. <laughs> Those right. are the ones that. 
And I think for many of us now, we're collectively going through a moment like that. But those moments can be real gifts if you learn something from it. So, Cam, what was your moment? See, again, I mean, there's a... But I don't, I don't know that this answers the question, but there was a... I'm fairly small-boned person, uh, was quite small, went to a uh, two-room church school, usually was a, a picked last in sports teams, basically have a lot of baggage around that. Um, one of my teachers in fifth grade, he was really into running and playing soccer. A uh, couple of moments I distinctly remember was going for the ball. Uh, I was in fifth grade. I think the ki other kid was a black kid. He was a second grader and he was about twice my size. And we hit and I ended up having my breath knocked out of me. And another thing I remember was we all went on a foot race, basically. And the teacher basically told me, if you'll just keep up with those guys, the biggest guys, just not let them get ahead of you, that he basically told me what to do to be able to win the race. So I was in, I was in fifth grade, I believe, and I actually run, I, I ran and won the race of the entire school, even against the eighth graders. Uh, now, those are a couple of things that pop into my mind. I don't know that there was low points necessarily. Um, but they kind of define who you are, right? Not necessarily, but there, there's, there's those snapshots that, you know, why do we remember? Why do we have these mental snapshots that we have? You know, and those are a couple of things from elementary school, which basically I despised elementary school. Um, right. So you've always been looking for recognition. Yeah, right? probably. Yeah, I think most of us are. And I think a lot of it was because, again, I think underlying this sense of not really fitting and not being acceptable which ah yeah. so so there we go so you just said that you went to a church school right right did they accept you did they accept the real you uh, no i don't think so kind of like well, actually funny enough i think in a sense you know i think it goes both ways i don't think i really accepted you know, I think there was a lot of Phariseeism going on in a sense. My family was, in a sense, more conservative and better than, you know, I thought of myself as better than a lot of other people. And I think not fitting had a positive and a negative side to it. Right. So life begins when you accept yourself, right? Isn't that what you're saying tonight, Kent? And that's very difficult to do. No, it's not. You know how it begins? Can you say it, that I accept myself? I can say it. I don't know if I could mean it. <laughs> oh, wait. Okay, so uh, you're, on the, you're on the stage of the Gershwin Theater. Here are the lights. Ready? <laughs> Seriously. I want Ken to stand up. You can't turn your camera on? No. Oh, okay. I want you to say I accept myself. I accept myself. When I you say you can't turn your camera on, it means you don't want to or it, you don't have that option? Yes, I do not want to for okay. certain reasons. No, that's that's fine. fine. So we finally, but you see here how we finally got to, it took us a little while, but really at the end of this, what this is saying, what you're really saying, and what a beautiful speech that would be about the journey to self-acceptance. 
I would love to personally hear that speech because I'm still trying to accept myself. Honestly. Well, yeah, sure. I mean, that's that's a huge. You know what's so funny, Ken? Thing. I always say that speaking is the great equalizer. And the reason I say that is that you could have a ton of money and be really good looking. And if you can't speak, it's meaningless because there could be somebody in the corner of the room that doesn't have a lot of money and is not that good looking and could capture that room. And the guy with a lot of money who's really good looking would be envious, right? Speaking is power. And so if you really worked on this speech, look at this, 10 minutes ago, and I'm sorry we took up some time here, but 10 minutes ago, you said, I don't know what my passion is. And all you guys are, you know, you're famous and you do TED Talks. And 10 minutes later, all of a sudden, you take me back to your school and you say, I just want to be accepted for who I am. That's all I want. And now I'm going to take you on my journey to where at the end of my speech, I'll be able to reframe my story and find that self-acceptance. Kent? Yeah. That's it. And you know what I'm thinking is That's it. similar to what, um, what Max said is that, you know, when you express that anger, the, the, the chance that you're the only one on this panel or the only one watching this in the future that felt that feeling is almost none. Yeah. And, um, you know, whatever I may look like or whatever perception people have of me, the narrative that I, went through adolescence and into adulthood was the two most prominent beliefs. Three, say no one would accept me as I am. I am weak and I am disgusting, right? Those are probably the three um, deepest held beliefs inside of me. And that feeling of not belonging was prominent and only to find out when I started talking about it, how many people felt like they, did, like they didn't belong. So you have a room full of 50 people and there may be four that feel like they belong and the 46 like they have more belonging than the four because that feeling of not belonging is a lot more consistent than the feeling of, not, of, of belonging. And that uh, this, your story is unique, but it also has a lot of similarities to many other people who can benefit tremendously from um, from hearing from from hearing what you have to say, all aspects of it, right? So, so one person may cling on to the um, you said you said you were smaller as a fifth grader than a second grader, and that may be one person's. Uh, they'll connect to that. Another person may connect to this general sense of not feeling um, acceptance or recognized or noticed. But inevitably, when we share our story, there are 8 billion people, but there are not 8 billion unique stories. And the, the stories, and the harder they are to say, the more, um, the more people will find who will be impacted by it. And you see in the messages, uh, someone messaged it only to um, all panelists. I don't think he meant to say that. But as he wrote, can't I relate? Two years of therapy and still in progress. And I think if, if people can put into the notes over here, how many people, and if you can make sure it says all panelists and attendees, when hearing Ken's story, does, uh, just a little bit of it, what does that do for them? Does, that, does it resonate, does it not resonate? And be specific if you can, what aspects of what, of what someone may have heard. Um, it's pretty amazing, Ken. 
but yeah, I think I think you're right. You know, there's this the the battle. I I think maybe I suppose especially for those of us that are dealing with addiction, you know, really that struggle to to accept ourselves. Really, I mean, that's I think that's huge in addiction, and feeling like you know baseline we're just not okay, and so it's very hard to feel accepted by others and also accept ourselves. Um, Absolutely, and you know, and even, even, you know, I got, go to a bunch of online drop-in groups and even there, I don't feel like I fit. And I want to, I want to step in. Someone said, I relate to the part about not being sure what your message is. Like even that is expression saying, I don't know what to say. And it's sometimes the most powerful parts. We did a webinar a few weeks ago called facing the unknown. And just that, um, that was the idea of being in those spaces of not knowing and how vulnerable, honest, and honest it is to just say, I don't know, right? When Raj asks, you see your face on a billboard, and that is the, the, the most true response right there, and a lot of people feel that as well, is I don't know. Yep. I've been on this planet for 50 years, and I have no idea what the hell I want people to know. And right after that admission, comes the possibility of finding of finding it which i think there was some exploration here and it could go even beyond that to find what that if you were on the gershwin theater if you did have that the, the microphone that a ton of people would be able to listen or just that one person whatever whatever it is what what is it that you would say what is the that speech that you would give and i think finding that is a it's an amazing process and the journey of expressing it each step of the way i don't know and maybe it's this maybe it's that you'll find a lot of people who not only resonate with what you're saying, but benefit tremendously from it. And that's, what's, that's what has me talking. That's, it's, it's, that, it's that feeling. I'll share one message here, and I think you'll, you'll resonate with this. You said you're, a, um, you're, you're in recovery for porn addiction. I got this message from yesterday from someone on Instagram. I have no idea who they are. Don't know if I'll ever talk to them or see them. It said, hey, Ellie, I'm a university student. I've been struggling with porn for almost eight years. I have no one to share my story with. And also when the opportunity presents itself, I feel so ashamed of myself. I'm really yearning to stop. Every time I try, I fail. I recently saw your video on TED. I would love us, I would love us to have to get into conversation. Thanks. And um, these messages, you know, I think about where I was, Kent, and I, I really want to impart that on you is that that place where you were at the beginning of this call and you sound a lot lighter now but that place where you were that that anger and frustration that's where i was when rosh told me don't share your story don't share your story about porn addiction from there and what it, it it buried a little bit of shame in me and i'm not blaming rosh rosh was trying to protect me from what he knew could inevitably come from sharing it was a risky thing to do to talk about a porn addiction from that setting and Rosh is like, Ellie, you can share a bunch of stories. This may be a little bit too far. And man, I'm so glad I did. Not for the 1.4 million views, but for this message that I got. Like, to, to the point that Max was saying, the 1.4, I see someone else with 20, and I want to know why I don't have that. But this one message fills that hole, that hole of feeling different, that hole of feeling ashamed, that hole of feeling um, punished by the world for this. You know, addiction is not a small word. Addiction is... I've, I felt like I completely couldn't control my behavior. I don't, 
I've smashed laptops. I've thrown them down garbage chutes so that I don't use this. I put locks on my phone. I've done whatever I could to do this. And when I get these message, it validates those years of struggling to find to 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 figure it out because I'm not the. I thought I was. I thought I was the only person who was experiencing such difficulty watching porn or stopping porn. I thought I was the only one watching and the only one experiencing such difficult, difficulty stopping. And as soon as I spoke about it, how we're on this call possibly because of that, because you heard me talk about porn addiction and that's what connected to you. So I, I really want to, A, honor what you've done by agreeing to, to jump on this call. And Thank you, B, I, I hope you continue and I hope you share that message because um, not to put guilt on you, but you'd be robbing the world of a beautiful gift if you did not share your story. Well, thanks for letting me be on the call. It's been fun to talk to you guys and fun to hear you. Yeah, be sure you read the read the chat if you haven't yet, just because awesome. there's some things yeah. in there that are yeah. for you to see. A lot of people are messaging to all panelists. Please do all panelists and attendees because Kent is not seeing those messages. If it's if if your message is to all panelists, but there's some beautiful messages coming in. Sarah Walsh said your courage in speaking up and going through the process with Raj helps me to know that I matter and that the search for my mission is not something that will take a lifetime to discover. I'm saying these these are beautiful things. And I'll say, please can take heart, truly take your message forward. And um, you're seeing some in the attendee section, but some are going only to panelists. For those who did, if you could, for the benefit of Kent, so he knows what that was like for you guys hearing it, just copy it and putting it, put it to all panelists and attendees. You'll see it when you're putting in the chat, you have different sections. So uh, Kent, thanks so much. I feel Thank like you, um, you made my evening and I feel like you made it for, for all of us. And it started with an expression of anger. And I love that. Uh, Cause I agree with a lot. There's a lot, <laughs> there's a anger is anger is a powerful pathway and it's not, it's not meant to be ignored. It's meant to be channeled. Uh, powerfully and beautifully and i think you demonstrated that tonight so thank you is there a way to save the chat actually uh if you shoot me an email at the end of this i'll be able to uh i i think zoom records it and i'll be okay. able to to get you because i'd appreciate that yeah it's it's awesome it is it is pretty pretty incredible i know on um many zoom meetings you can actually you know attendees can actually save the chat but I suppose it depends on how you have it set up. Anyway, right. Say again. I was just interested to know if if you all actually really are convinced of what you're in like one short phrase, what your passion is and how you figured that out or have you already <laughs> always known it? I, I don't think I can speak for me. I don't think it's a one and done. There are many things I'm passionate about, um, but there's, there's definitely a certain theme in my own and that's... Um, uh, removing shame, giving people a voice, removing shame and the things that block, that shame blocks people from. If I, that's, if there's one headline, it's, I take more pride in that than anything else is just, is could we remove shame in the world? So many of us are walking around with it. So many of us that seem the least obvious to have it. Um, that's the drive. Uh, I felt weak. I said that was one of my messages and I hit the gym like crazy. That was a huge part of it. And maybe someone saw someone large, but that wasn't what I felt like inside. It was shame driving those, shame driving those behaviors. And I wish I'd get another motivation to hit the gym now. So 
other than shame, but that's a different conversation <laughs> for a different we're all, time. We're all going through that. <laughs> <laughs> different conversation for a different time. But that's, if, if I summed it up, that would be one, but there are so many different ways that express it. I'd love if others um, answer that. And I think we can wrap up on that note a lot. Is there a certain mission to your, to your work and a theme, a connective theme between everything? Is there a billboard with the Lod's face on it that says a beautiful um, message? Yeah, there might be. I hope there is. I, I think there is. But I think um, it was weird. I had this image literally right before this chat, and it had nothing to do with the chat, but it was, I kind of got stuck in my head, which was um, of uh, like a snake or a reptile, like how they let go of old skin um, and then kind of enter this like newer, uh, cleaner form of themselves. Um, and the reason I say that is because I think there's been a lot of times where I thought I knew the essence of my message. Um, and, and in many ways, I, I, I think I still connect to a lot of the stuff that I thought I had connected to. Um, and I think the reason I love that image is kind of connect, it's kind of a, um, an image that uh, goes both ways, where there's always the detritus, like the stuff you have to get rid of, the stuff that you have to let go of, that you thought was you, you thought was the essence of who you are. And, but underneath that, there still is an essence. There is still something even deeper that's going on. Um, and so I'm sorry to give a non answer to the answer, but I think the reason that I'm saying that is because it, maybe this would be part of the consistency of it is that I've felt anytime when I've tried too hard to say, this is what I am, uh, I've gotten myself into trouble. And whenever I've allowed myself to say, you know, that's what I was, this is what I am at the moment, this is where I'm going, you know, that kind of th process thought. Would you say it's more of this is where I am versus this is what I am? Maybe, yeah. yeah. That would be really good. Yeah. I think when, whenever it's like in the in phrased as a process, I, I find that to be much, for me, very powerful um, because I think that, um, yeah, I just, and, and I guess that's why, again, I identify so much with Kent. <laughs> I, Kent, uh, I don't know, I feel like a soul brother, but I, I, I really do because I think, you know, there are moments in my life where I thought everything was clicking and there now, you know, I'd say, you know, six months ago, I was very angry at the world and, you know, a month ago I started, you know, and, and I think the point is that we're all going through these like journeys um, and, when we honor each piece of that journey, we see like that this mission in this moment, this mission in that moment are powerful, then, then we can really grow, um, I think. So I'm sorry to not at all answer the question, but that is the, right. That, that is the answer that resonates deeply with me is that there are things that felt so right for a period of time. When I was doing the work, for example, with Jewish Community Watch, combating child sex abuse for a few years, it felt so right. And yeah. then it stopped feeling right. And I said, I think my message is bigger than abuse victims. And I felt like it, it, there was a part of my message that was coming across like child abuse as some sort of monopoly on pain. And that's certainly not what I believe. I was hearing it from the, from the place of this is my experience. Yesterday, someone reached out to me and said they're really struggling. And they said, you know, but I didn't have a childhood like yours. I feel like a guy with a broken arm talking to a double amputee. I was like, that's not my message at all. Just the opposite. I love what Viktor Frankl says in, uh, in Man's Search for Meaning. He said, pain is like a, a gas. It just, it fills up all available resources. Who the hell cares where that pain came from? And sometimes the pain of it 
it, it, sometimes when the abuse or the pain is a little bit more covert, covert, it's more painful because then there's confusion versus it's like freaking obvious. There's an amputee. Mm. There's this is my pain. And then other times it just there's this existential angst that just bugs us and we don't have a clear um, hook to hang this reason we feel this way on. And that becomes its own pain, right? Versus someone who does have, oh, I went through this experience as a child and maybe that's why I feel that way. So pain is pain. And for that's, that's a, a, a real part, of, a real part of, of my message and the way it transforms and change and feels right and then stops feeling right. And then that becomes a call to, to go further and, and, uh, and do more and speak more. And one thing for sure, and I hope this is coming clear, where I'm doing this, what, these webinars, it's not coming from a place of, I've found something, let me give it to you. It's I'm searching for something and let me turn the lights on while I'm searching. And it's that, that's the energy and the place that I'm trying to come from. Even in terms of words at healing, I've found some things that are true for me but I've written a lot and I still don't feel like I'm completely healed. So it's not this panacea, oh, you just write and you're better, <laughs> or you just speak and you're better. I mean, you know, that's, that's not the case, but it's something that had I not ha had it, had I not developed, I wouldn't feel like myself. Max, your thoughts? I mean, yeah, as I hear you say that too, it's like also, then I'm better some later future state of better where it's all perfect and groovy all the time. We're never getting there. <laughs> it's like versus understanding that we're in the process and like, and accepting without shame of like, this is where I am and I'm walking forward. And I think we are, we are all in that. Like the deepest truth that I have found is that one is like, there's no, there's no final destination. This is the, we're in it. We're living it. We are in the process and it's okay. And wherever we are, it's okay. And God loves us where we're at and is us where we're at. And, and all of that of like, in terms of one message, I, I think it's, it's helpful. I like, you know, can't I really relate to yours of like essence over packaging and really getting to the truth, truth, deeper than honesty, truth. But like, for me, I don't have, I don't have one message. I relate to what you said a lot. And I think like honing in on this is my thing can be helpful when you're building something, like whether that's a business or a platform. Um, but also we very quickly start to get into that. That starts to define us, right? That becomes our identity. It's like, no, this, uh, it, it latches on as opposed to being the infinite that we are. And so I think I love what you said, Elliot, uh, about where I am, where am I? And what am I passionate about right now? What's my feeling really driven to and called towards right now? And hell yeah, let's follow that. Let's run towards that and let's build things around it. Um, but I, I don't feel like I have one for me that goes on a billboard or a tattoo on my body. I, uh, yeah, and it, it feels changing. And right now about helping people see the God in themselves and see like, and come alive, get to that essence, feel the fullness and be the, the aliveness inside of us. That's what I'm feeling called to right now. Um, yeah, I wanted, I just saw this comment that just reminded me of something that I was really excited about, which was someone just said, my takeaway from this is that I should journal every day. And I was like, yes, the moment I saw that, and this was like a second ago, um, <laughs> there's people celebrating a birthday. Can you hear that outside? A little bit, but it's okay. You can hear me? Okay. <laughs> so, um, it's pandemic living. So, um. <laughs> I was really excited about that because 
one of the things that we forget very often, like there was a lot of, I, I heard, especially um, from, from Kent State, Dr. Kent State, um, that, uh, you know, like a lot about audience and about like who has an audience and who not. Um, and then there was Max who said like, what if you affect one person? And I so resonated with that. And then, you know, I was thinking about that and what I, you know, what it, the journal thing kind of brought me back to is what if that one person is you, you know, like what if at the end of the day, like you actually don't affect anyone. Let's say you put something out there. I, you know, I wrote a piece recently that from, I was like shy. Oh my gosh, I got no shy. But I realized that the piece itself was like incredibly essential to me in my process in myself and my growth, not to mention journaling. I would say journaling is something that has grown me as a person, maybe more than my public writing. Um, and you know, I, there's, um, Brenda Euland, uh, who is, was, uh, an incredible writer about writing, she wrote a book, If You Want to Write. She quoted Byron, uh, quite a bit, and she spoke about his biography quite a bit. He was a famous poet. Um, and she said that he would burn his poetry, like, I think probably like 75 of his poems, like we, percent of his poems, we have no idea what they were. And he did it because he was trying to remind himself that he was doing it. Number one, like he was, there was a number of reasons, but I think the main thing was that he was trying to remind himself that this was like a divine act and that what he was doing was um, something very deep and very, and it mattered more than the audience or than him having an audience, I should say. Not more than the audience, but more than him, his feelings about an audience. Um, and I was always really moved by that. So. I would second that a lot of the, I've been journaling uh, since I came into recovery and I use the same app since then. It's called my W days, W for wonderful. And sometimes when I'm uh, often, when I'm feeling a little out of sorts, I'll go back to my early journals just to remind myself of the, the progress. And I see who I was, what I was struggling with, what was going on at seven, eight years ago when I started this process and it's extremely powerful. And really, what we're, when we're talking about that words that heal, and it was some of the things that I asked Rosh and Max, separating the expression and the constructing of the writing from the um, outward expression beyond oneself. So I, I like what Alad said in terms of maybe that person is oneself. Just um, this, this book that I was reading, which I'll put in the uh, messages here, the expressive writing, writing that heals. So it mentions four different components, and then it gives a specific exercise that they find works for most people most of the time. But it recommends with something like this to try a bunch of different things and see what does work. And you've heard from three people, or I would even include myself, who use expression a lot, that we all use it slightly differently. So figuring out what, what fits best. But the four things that they found help people heal through writing is A, when there was open acknowledgement of emotions. So it's not writing about ideas, but how was I feeling? It's not even writing about the story as much what, what did it make me feel? The second was to construct a, a, a story, a beginning, middle, and an end versus this happened to me. There, this happened to me and this was realization and therefore that happened. And there are many different um, ways to construct a story, but when it's written out as an actual beginning, middle, and end a story, it has a powerful therapeutic effect. A third, which was very interesting, I've never tried this, um, but writing from, alt from alternative perspectives. And I've tried this in, there's a, a Byron Katie, I don't know if anyone has, any of you have come across her work, uh, the work by Byron Katie, she, she calls it. But often what she does is when someone has a belief, she'll say, give me the opposite of that belief. 
and then tell me how it's true. And what she's trying to do in those settings is just say, okay, that's one version, but how is this equally true, right? An example is, you know, my son should call me, right? If my mom is listening in, my son should call me. Well, how is the opposite true, right? And what's the opposite of my son should call me? I should call my son. How is that true? <laughs> how is my son shouldn't call me? How is that, how is that true, right? And she, what she does in the therapy and the work process with people is try on alternative thoughts. I've never used it myself in writing, but I found it interesting that it mentioned that as something that, you know, Kent, when you were talking about the alternative perspective, an alternative perspective is you shared certain things maybe as negative experiences. How can they be positive experiences? There was a certain narrative that wasn't, that wasn't the facts of what was happening, right? There was um, some, there was the fact that happened and then there was the feeling, then there, there was the stuff surrounding it, which is the narrative that you take on and how can a different narrative be explored? And then the fourth was writing in one's own, own voice, finding one's voice, right? And those four elements and the exercise that it gave is to write four minutes, I'm sorry, four days in a row for 20 minutes a day and after doing the writing, and it's a minimum, not a maximum, after doing the writing is to reflect on the writing. Right, so I've gone through this process and then spend a few minutes saying, what did that feel like for me? How, how, how has it changed? And what it says in the studies is that for the first hour or two afterwards, people often feel more of whatever emotion came up, either anger, either sad, depressed, whatever it is. But then months afterwards, they're reporting better results. Um, from this. So just if someone wants a specific exercise, I think Max, my sense is, Elad, you don't offer any specific, um, you, you don't help others write. You just, this is what you do for yourself, uh, right? Max and Raj both run lead webinars and groups and things like that. I do, I do as well. Um, the main thing that I do, I do kind of a few things. One is um, a retreat I do once a year. Um, which is like that, it's called uh, using fear to, con to access your creativity or cool. confronting fear to access your creativity. And it's actually very similar to like, you know, some of the stuff that was discussed here, which is like kind of facing yourself and that sort of thing um, in a safe place. Um, and then, you know, I, I try to also do, uh, and I've done classes, but I also try to do these things called creative upbringings, which I'm hoping to do online at some point, which is like what Max was talking about, just like, creating a space where people are just sharing the raw thing that they happen to have in the moment uh, that's unfinished or unpolished. So, um, yeah, sorry, I didn't mean to go on, but yeah, I do, I do love doing stuff like that as well. So if, if there's a way people can, um, you know, a website you have or something, if you can put it in the notes and Max, I th think some people ask for your email and Rosh as well. So if you just put it to all panelists and attendees, so if they want to reach out to you or a website that they can contact, I think would be super helpful because it seems to me from the comments that we've definitely inspired people. <laughs> so I hope that some of us have somewhere to channel. I know Max and Raj does some ways to channel that inspiration, whether they want to um, uh, do something I'll with put it. That I hope people end. do. I think I'll there's, you know, Max, I'm fascinated that you said that you don't have a, a message. I might need you to help me find mine. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to challenge you on that. Because I, I believe that you do. Do you know uh, what it is? We could get there. 
usually usually a passion or like that tie and i've seen this like for example if someone says i'm passionate about money usually they grew up without it if someone says i'm passionate about helping others usually they didn't get the help right most artists are passionate about that because they didn't get that somewhere along the line and when you begin to really explore that, it'll make, I think it'll make your art that much deeper. You know, one of my favorite, and I use this line a lot, but I love it so much is George Surratt, Sunday in the Park with George, the artist Sondheim wrote about saying, you know, the show ends with Surratt at 38 years old saying blank, a white page or canvas, his favorite, so many possibilities. And I really believe that this is where we're sitting today as a society. There are so many possibilities, especially, you know, Max, and and I, I know your work. I respect your work. I think that if you got to the core of what is my message, like allowed yourself to get there. You know what I feel like, Max, when you, like the. Sorry, let me just quickly say, I'm curious though, like would, is your message today the same as it was five years ago? Not, not necessarily. So but like in, order, that- in order to connect with an audience, right? If, if Steve Jobs walked in the room right now, would you know what his message was? Be like, I'm back from the dead. No, 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 <laughs> no, no. But you knew, you understand my point. His message was always consistent. Of being a visionary. Like, in, like he, he had hungry, a brand. Stay hungry, stay foolish. I mean, that was that was Steve Jobs. Embrace difference. Yes. Challenge norms. Stay hungry, stay full. But yes. we got a lot of messages, right? But they all tied into the same thing about him being a visionary. Otherwise, you're all over the place. He definitely had a consistent brand. Yes. Max, I tell you what I feel from you. Like when we when we interact and this panel is there's there's this um, part of you that's screaming without saying it. I'm alive. We're alive. Damn it. Right, like something, like something like I that. That's that. what I feel. <laughs> I love that. It I want to. I want to know what it was like having John Stossel as a dad. We can do another uh, another webinar on that one. <laughs> yeah, this, is, <laughs> <laughs> okay. this is taking up a lot of data on Zoom and um, okay. Zoom and, and later on YouTube. So, Rosh, your yes. your message. I know you love helping others, but let's let's see if you can help yourself. What is my own personal message? Mm-hmm. Driving down the I-95, there's a billboard. <laughs> Rosh Lowe, what does it say? It has to do with something with uh, being suffocated. Um, don't allow yourself to be suffocated. And the word, when I, when I, when I. Take the negative out of it. When I when I go ahead, can't say I love this. Take the negative out of it. When I use the word suffocated, uh, there's there's many ways that we suffocate ourselves. Like we suffocate ourselves with insecurity. We suffocate suffocation. Escape suffocation. Yeah, we suffocate ourselves with addiction for sure. Um, we suffocate ourselves with kind of living by old mantras. And judgment of others. Judgment of others. Yeah. And so 
I want to be able to breathe. There we go. And part of breathing for me is definitely helping others. I think that um, that's a big part of it. Um, but I think that this kind it's, it's so interesting that like Corona affects like the lungs. Like I've been thinking a lot about breathing every day and meditation is very important. Um, but I just want to breathe and my breath comes not only from, um, my own peace of mind, but definitely at the end of the day, when I, when I can really, and I really mean this, this is not like bullshit. When I feel like I've helped somebody, I breathe better. Like it makes me feel like good. And when I have those days where I'm not really helping a whole lot of people, that's when the thoughts of like, damn, I can't believe they've closed the casinos come in. <laughs> you know? No, absolutely. As a, as an educator, my, my absolute favorite thing, I mean, I, you know, I, I taught one-on-one, -on -one, but um, I also taught classroom, you know, stuff. But still, to me, the one-on-one -on -one where you could really get inside that person's head, in a sense, and, and really see the light bulb turn on and really make it, you know, walk them through a process that brings them success and them to come back and say, you really helped me achieve this. That's just magic. Yeah. That's, you know, that's the main point. I'll, I was a little bit in my head when I started this because we had communicated two different times, people, and it seems like a lot of people thought it was happening earlier. And when I was seeing the numbers of people signing in, it was a lot lower than I had anticipated. And I started a little bit in my head and then through the process to get to that is that it doesn't matter. This was so impactful for me and I think for others, this, you know, a lot used the word for bringing. And that's what I feel like it was. I feel like a, it allowed me to open up and have a conversation um, with, with others and feel like we're, we're connecting in some way. How cool. It's on Zoom. You can't see most of the people, but I feel much more connected after this and I'm paying less attention to, that, to, to the number and that thought. So it's just funny how the conversation came full circle because I started off this conversation totally in my head about it and exactly what you said, Kent. It's yeah, you're a professor and everything else, but it's when that one, and you're speaking to a room full of people, but it's when that one light bulb goes off in one person's head, and it's like, boom, I did something meaningful today. And we can't, you can't turn on 100 at a time. That's not the way it works. And if you do, you don't know it. It's that one. It's that one-on-one. -on -one. And I feel like I've connected one-on-one -on -one with a lot of people tonight. I feel a hell of a lot better. And thanks so much. Thanks, everyone, for coming out. Thanks, Rosh. Thanks, thanks Max. Thanks, Alad. Thanks, Kent. Thank thanks, Kent. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Beautiful. Appreciate the, it. The way you stepped up. I mean, that's, that's it. That's, that's everything to me that you turn on your, turn it on. You spoke exactly from where you're at. I think you made the evening for me. And I think for, you made this webinar for me and for, I think for everyone else as well. For me, the most taking impactful, the plunge. for me, the most impactful thing tonight was to hear that shift Ken from anger because a lot of people I work with, I get that anger at first. They're like, what do you mean? What are you talking about? And then boom, there's like this shift, right? And it's in that shift where I think progress has, um, can come. I, I came up with my message, by the way. Uh, let me help you breathe so I can. Ooh. Nice rush. All right, thank you all. It's been a pleasure. I love your work, Max. I love your work a lot. I think you're both geniuses. I've read a lot of your stuff. Seriously, Max, I love 
you know, I've been following you since Jewish Community Watch. Um, um, you have Thank such you. incredible, you have such an incredible, incredible talent. And Elad, you know, I follow you uh, religiously, and yeah, <laughs> don't use the word religious around Elad. That's fine. <laughs> the, <laughs> I get the platforms that you have built. It brings up trauma for me also. Uh, <laughs> to say that it's been an honor being honest with you. There you have it. Another episode of our podcast. Thanks so much for listening until the end. Appreciate that. And I hope that you got a lot out of this. And uh, for those who haven't jumped on board with the Wonder of Words, are influenced or inspired in some way by this episode to, to look at that. Uh, one of the practices that I've been using since recording this episode um, has been when something is bothering me to take 20 minutes a day to write on it. Sort of what I spoke about in the podcast itself. And those 20 minutes a day over the course of four days, something happens to whatever that is. And a mountain that seemed insurmountable might not be at the end of those four days. 